Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Mike's on. He's ready to go. On the fan. New York Sports Radio. Mike's on. Mike's on. All right, we're coming to you live on this uh, Palm Sunday morning from my home, but uh, through the studios of WFN in New York and obviously across the country on CBS Sports Radio, coast to coast. Uh, we wish everybody a uh, very happy Palm Sunday, although it's a very different one, obviously, as we head towards Holy Week, Easter Sunday next week, Passover, obviously, uh, next week, also our days away, starts on the 8th, as a matter of fact. Uh, and as we begin this morning, which is like so many other mornings we've begun in recent weeks, uh, we're still in the same place, but we are where I live, which is a stone's throw in Manhasset from one of the renowned uh, heart hospitals in the world, St. Francis Heart, which is kind of my home hospital. I'm very close to the doctors there. Uh, it's kind of where I go when I need anything. Uh, and it is right now in the, in the center of the storm because Long Island has exploded. Uh, Nassau and Suffolk counties have become, in New York State being the hottest, and of course New York City has been very hot, but right now Long Island in recent days has become the epicenter for the entire nation. So I figured let's get right to it and begin this Sunday with someone who uh, is at the nerve center of it. And Dr. Rich Slafmans, who is one of the renowned heart uh, doctors in the country, is my personal uh, doctor. He also, though, is one of the renowned heart doctors in the country. He is a head of cardiology at St. Francis Heart, which is uh, at worst ranked as the number two heart hospital in the United States, is, re- is a renowned heart center and a place where mirror Miracles happen every day where people go and their lives are saved. Uh, this man has saved more lives than he could, he could fill a stadium with the, with the lives that he has saved. Uh, but in recent days, all he has seen is uh, something very different. As uh, like every other hospital, St. Francis has been relegated to a place that has been overrun with, with the virus uh, and has been just trying to deal with the surge. Uh, so uh, as I... Uh, welcome in, Dr. Schlafmans. He can give us uh, kind of a really a first-hand look at where things are on this morning. Doc, welcome. How are you? 
Thanks for having me, Mike. How are you doing? My pleasure, Doc. So uh, right now I, I look at it this morning in the headlines, uh, Governor Cuomo saying that Long Island is on fire, uh, that the surge there is unbelievable in recent days. It has obviously been impact, impactful at every hospital, including yours, which usually is one of the friendlier but also one of the more efficient hospitals in the world. You, you, you are a renowned heart hospital. You, people come from all over the world to be operated on there, but this is a very different time for you guys, right? Absolutely, Mike. Just quick, you know, everybody's watching the news, going on the Internet, seeing different things, and we're hearing all kinds of statistics. Just to give you some sobering reality, you gave a great promo to St. Francis and that we're a heart hospital. You know, I went to interventional cardiology because I love to be able to fix someone right away. You have heart disease. No matter what you had before, if we take care of you, we can fix it. You're on the road and you're great. Everything went well. So all the cardiologists at our hospital are used to taking care of people. They're sick. They could die. We fix them. They go home. All of a sudden, things have changed dramatically. You know, in... December or January, when we first heard about this in China, we didn't pay much attention to it. It was in China. We didn't think much about it. And then in February, I was in a meeting in, in Washington with a colleague from Milan. He told me about it. It sounded a little concerning, but again, it didn't hit us. We came to New York in early March, and again, it was in Westchester. We, we didn't think much about it. We all underestimated exactly the severity of this, and this is what I want to get to. St. Francis Hospital has approximately 320 beds. Mid-March, just a couple of weeks ago, Mike, we had one patient at St. Francis Hospital. You know, and we thought we were protected. We're on the Gold Coast of Long Island. We had one patient, and we thought we could deal with this. We're cardiologists, heart surgeons, electrophysiologists. You know, we have orthopedics and GI in other areas, but we are the only heart hospital designated in New York, and that's what we do. Our staff is incredible. Our nurses are trained to do these technical procedures. They're amazing, and they've been doing it for years. So we have one patient two weeks ago. Two weeks later, jump forward, Mike, 75% of our hospital is COVID patients. We have intensive care units. Six, five of the six intensive care units, five and a half of the units, are all dedicated to COVID patients. We stopped doing elective surgery, elective angioplasty, electrophysiology. All elective cases stopped to devote space, time, and staff. Our staff is incredible. They were trained to do certain things. They went to courses and got allocated to different areas. They're working in intensive care units where they hadn't worked before. Our doctors are working in different areas. Our intensivists, our pulmonologists, we're doing things and rising to the occasion to take care of a different enemy. And it's eye-opening. You know, in cardiology, it's rare to lose a patient. My job, Mike, now, instead of saving lives with angioplasty is more of a social worker. I'm talking to families every day, every patient in the hospital. You know, families can't come into the hospital just with their protection and the patient's protection. Think about how devastating it is to people that they drop their loved one off in the ER with this unknown disease, and then they can't see them. So my job as an interventional cardiologist is primarily calling every family, giving them some sort of hope. Yeah, dad had applesauce today. He asked for you. He was walking around. This is where we are. And our lives changed in two weeks. And the message I want to get to you and your listeners is we need to take this seriously. You know, you hear about the uh, the ventilators, that there's a shortage. But, Mike, the problem is when you need a defibrillator, it's a little late at that point. Your prognosis is not great. We need to stop it before you get to that point. We need to listen to what people are saying about early testing, about um, distancing and washing your hands and doing all the hygiene things. Because once you get this, then 
I can't fix you like you have a heart problem. We can treat you, take the best care of you in the hospital. But in terms of looking you in the eye and say you're going to be home today and be fine, can't guarantee that. So that's why it's critical to try to minimize that disease, Mike. Doc, you all, as I alluded to, and people have heard you on my programs before, you are one of the leading uh, people in your field in the United States. You are one of the top doctors in the country. Um, I can't tell. I can tell people. I, I don't. I I see people all the time who have been saved and had their lives improved and saved by Doc. Uh, I, I could tell you, I've met, I, I know hundreds of them. Uh, I mean, he, he deals with incredible numbers, and his ability to fix people is just incredible. It's a gift. Right now, that's not the case. Um, we're hearing all these different things. You mentioned to me yesterday, ventilators is the last drawer, and when you're on a ventilator, people aren't getting off. What is if you, you, you deal with laboratories, you create equipment for laboratories, you are on the forefront of this stuff, you also travel extensively, so into Europe, you know what's going on there. What is the remedy if there is one? If we can find a remedy, what is the remedy for this? I mean, what has to happen for this to get better? We're right in the middle of it. You're in the middle of it in Nassau County where it is exploding. I mean, the cases are exploding by the day. They say in the next four to six days we'll hit the top. Right now you're getting thousands of new cases every day. Well, like you said, we, we don't want to be in the position where we want to look to get more ventilators. We want to prevent it from happening. Since there is now no cure. We don't have a vaccine, and realistically, a vaccine is not going to happen in this outbreak season. Do you believe in any of these therapeutics, Doc? Do you believe in any of these therapeutics? Uh, do you have a hope for any of these therapeutics? Well, you know, you could look at it two ways. You know, I, there is no science, and I, I was just on a worldwide uh, webinar uh, with doctors from all over the world looking at every study and looking at all these different um, things. I mean, you've heard of different blood types and different medications that are used for other things. Look, when you're desperate, Mike, you do whatever's available because it's not right. going to hurt you. So, you know, when someone says to me, should you take Plaquenil and Zithromax, well, I can tell you right now, just it's just as difficult to get that as it is to get toilet paper because, you know, it, it's the hoarding technique. So you can't get it as an outpatient. And what the current recommendations are is that if you're sick enough to go to a hospital, and in a second I'll tell you when you should go to a hospital, but okay. if you're sick enough to go to a hospital and you test positive, we are treating you um, with those medications. Is there any real proof that they do anything? No, but realistically, short-term, they're not going to do anything negative to you. So my opinion is when patients call me up and they're desperately saying, Doc, I think I have it. Can you send it to me? I say, number one, New York State won't approve it because there are people who need those meds who have other diseases, people with lupus or rheumatoid arthritis. They need it, and they need that every day. Right. the, the government is appropriately saying, you know what, Doc, you just can't write it for your friends and for your family. We need this for people who need it and people who are sick. So, look, I don't know if it works, and I don't think there's anyone who could tell you it works, but if it doesn't hurt you and we have nothing else to treat you, it doesn't hurt to give you that. You could take vitamin C, zinc. Do I have any idea if any of those things work? Absolutely not, and neither does anyone else. So the key is prevention, 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 prevention. And to answer your question, what can we do about this? It's not building more um, uh, ventilators because, as you point out, when you're on a ventilator, your prognosis is poor. We can't build enough ventilators if we don't stop this disease from spreading. Uh, We need to get testing, rapid testing. And there's some good news on the horizon that Abbott has come up with this uh, 5 to 15-minute point-of-service test, which 
instead of building millions of ventilators, we should be ramping up and making that test available, certainly for every hospital, for everybody to get tested. The way certain nations curb this, whether it's China, South Korea, or Singapore, is that they had isolation and testing. Look, if you had this disease and you have antibodies, you're safe to go back into the community and start increasing the economy. If you don't have the disease and you wear a mask, you go out into the world. But if you have the disease and we isolate you for two weeks and then prove you're negative, then it's safe to go out again. The only way to treat this right now, there is no real medical treatment other than supportive care. The only way to treat it is to isolate and prevent someone from getting it. And, and we have to ratchet up testing, right? We have to get everybody more tests, hospitals, everywhere, labs. We have to get more tests for people, right? Mike, that's the only way. You, you, you all heard the expression flattening the curve. It actually is, makes sense. What is flattening the curve? You know, two years ago, 65 million people in the United States had the flu. Last year, 35 million people had the flu, right? Now, I don't remember anyone having the flu that much, or if I did, it didn't mean anything to me. But you had, you know, 0.5% of people died. A lot of people died from the flu in the last two years, three years. It died, they die every year. But it's spread out over a year. I can't even think of one person I knew who died of the flu. That's great. Right. But if you squash that curve into a couple of weeks, because so many people are asymptomatic and passing around, and this is one important point. You know, I was driving around, and I saw a lot of young people, and, you know, young people, quote-unquote, are protected. That's true. So they feel you're young, you're healthy, you're invincible, but you can be an asymptomatic, asymptomatic carrier and transmit it to someone else. So one message is, no matter who you are, especially at this time, you should wear a mask. Not so much that you're protecting yourself from getting it, because that's not really what it's doing. It's preventing you from giving it to someone else. So you could think, hey, I feel fine, and you could be a carrier, and that's why quick testing is so important. Because if a 20-year-old college kid is walking around playing basketball with his friends and they have it and they take it back home to their family, you know, that's where this thing spreads. So we need to test people. We need to be smart and wear masks when we're outside. Wear gloves if you can. Wash your hands. Doc, let me ask you this. We're talking with Dr. Rich Slopnitz, the head of cardiology at St. Francis Hospital, which is in the middle of this right now. Every hospital in Nassau County and Long Island is. Long Island has become the hotbed, the epicenter. It's actually growing faster in Long Island right now than it is in New York City. So actually, New York, uh, it has come west to, to, to uh, come east to Long Island uh, from New York City and instead of going north, as the governor said, and that has become the epicenter. He also said, the governor, that the apex would be in the next four to six days, so we'll see if that's true. Here's a big key. When should someone think, I need to go to the hospital? At what stage of where they are in their illness, would you say you need to go to a hospital? Okay, really important, really, really important, because, you know, what's happened to all the other diseases? You know, hospitals, are, as you pointed out, on Long Island and the city, they're filled with COVID patients. What about the patients that were filling a hospital before? It's not like our hospitals were empty. What right. happened to these other people? Nobody in their right mind wants to go to a hospital, staff included. I mean, the, the, the people who are working, the intensivists, the hospitals, the nurses, Mike, if you see these people every day, gown, glove, mask, everything, walking to a room where they may get this and be in a life-threatening situation, they are amazing, amazing people, all of them. It's incredible. 
And the thing is, who's, who's going to go to the hospital? Who should go to the hospital? Well, first of all, it depends on your risk factors. We know age and other illnesses that give you immunocompromised states. You know, that is someone who you want to take uh, more seriously in terms right. of going to a hospital. Any, any conditions, you, then you should be more. But if you're a regular person and you feel sick, when should you be alarmed? Okay. So until testing becomes more available, right now it's hard to get testing and it doesn't come back right away. So let's say my patient, I did an antiplasty. He's 50 years old. His heart's normal. I stented him. He has no other issues. He goes, God, I read about heart disease. I must be at risk. No, you're not at risk if you've had a stent because your heart is otherwise fine. We're not talking about that as being high risk. But he has a fever. He has a cough. His wife calls me up. I'm short of breath. I have a fever. I have the flu. I have aches. I never felt like this. My answer to them is do all your normal remedies you would do for the flu. Drink fluids. Try to get nutrition in. Take it easy. Take Tylenol. There are rumors that non-steroidals like Motrin or Advil are not good for you. Is that true? I don't know, but there are rumors, so why not take Tylenol? So the thing is, you try to stay home. When do you come if you're not a high-risk person when you're really short of breath? And when you're really short of breath, and why is that? Because the way this gets you, the way that you end up needing to be on a ventilator, is if you get um, an immune response called respiratory distress syndrome where your lungs fill with fluid and you don't um, get air from you're um, out from breathing into your bloodstream. So that's when you get really sick. So if you get really short of breath, you want to go to an ER then. What are they going to do? Well, they'll test you right then to see if you have the disease. And they'll also get an x-ray. So if you get the x-ray and the x-ray shows that you don't have a, uh, an ongoing pneumonia viral or bacterial or your oxygen level is okay and, um, you know, you otherwise look okay, they'll send you home. So the fact that you go to an ER because you're otherwise healthy and now you're short of breath and fever and you're scared. And you, might get the, you might get it there. Yeah, well, you know, most hospitals, especially, I know St. Francis, we have an isolated tent. If right. anyone comes in suspected, you go into a separate area. We try to isolate gotcha. people. Okay. If anyone has a heart condition, just so you know, Mike, if you have a heart condition and something urgent, we will take care of you still at St. Francis. If right. It's urgent. Okay. We bypass the ER. We take you right up to the cath lab. Okay. So you're not exposed to anything. So okay. we're trying, you know, our administration has been incredibly proactive. They're reassigning people. They're giving surplus um, overtime for staffers. They're allocating units as needed. They're and you have the best nurses anywhere. I mean, and, I, and listen, I know I'm biased, but I can tell you this, and anyone who knows this, St. Francis's care is the best I've never been in a hospital where the care is even close to as good as it is in St. Francis. The nurses are the nicest. The people are unbelievable there. It's the best hospital I've ever been in. It's not even close. Mike, in the New York area, there are thousands of fantastic doctors in many hospitals. What differentiates St. Francis is our staff. As you say, they are, it's like a family. They're it like, is. It's unbelievable. The care level there is unbelievable. Doc, when does someone, for the layperson, when does someone go from, say, oxygen to a ventilator? When does the doctor make that decision? Okay, so you came to the ER. You got an x-ray. We see you have bilateral infiltrates. That's um, fluid in your lungs or common right. infection in your lungs. So we admit right. you to the hospital. We check your oxygen saturation. That's measuring the oxygen level in your blood. Right. Now, that's easy to test. You just put your finger on this little device. It tells you your oxygen saturations. And we see, you know, we're looking at the temperature curve. And depending upon what your oxygen saturations, you get assigned to a certain unit, um, usually a monitored bed where you're um, isolated, and they watch and see how you do. We give you antibiotics if needed. We give you the 
Plaquenil, the Zithromax, hydration. We're giving you everything you need. And you watch to see if that oxygen level deteriorates. And we can increase external oxygen, either what we call nasal oxygen, which is a little tube. Right. Sometimes we have a, a mask, a venti mask, where we put the oxygen at higher levels. But if we can't oxygenate you, if you're oxygenation, we call that desaturation. If we can't oxygenate you at an adequate level, that's when you need to go on a ventilator. And that's, you know, the problem with this is if I could just get a little specific in terms of right. what's actually happening, think about your lungs. The purpose of your lungs is to get oxygen into your bloodstream. Your blood of the body carries oxygen as well as other things to the tissues. The t- you know, right. Oxygen is sort of like your gas line. And the veins bring used up blood to the lungs and the arteries take the fresh blood with the oxygen around your body. And the transmission of oxygen in the lungs, it's sort of like if you ever saw a bubble wrap. Your lungs microscopically have thousands and thousands of these little bubble wraps where the oxygen goes in. And the capillaries are very small blood vessels, and it's a very thin membrane. Osmosis takes the oxygen across the lung bubble wrap into the blood. When you have respiratory distress syndrome, your body is actually fighting the infection. That's where it happens. And it causes fluid buildup in inflammatory tissue that blocks that airway from the oxygen getting to the blood. So you try to push the air in with a ventilator or with high levels of oxygen, but if all the little bubble wraps are filled with fluid, they're not going to get in, and you've got a problem there. So that's why it's so imperative not to let someone get sick, because when you get to the ventilator point, it's we do the best we can, but the prognosis has not been great. Is this... As bad, have you ever in your life seen anything that even resembles what you've seen this week? Nobody in our lifetime has seen anything like this. You know, if you think back to history, when you read about the uh, Spanish flu of 1918, the world was different then. You know, um, reality TV wasn't what was the mainstream. There were people fighting World War One in barracks. There were people in sweatshops, and we didn't know how to isolate people and things like that. So it was a devastating disease. It's it's something we see in the history books, but in our lifetime, none of us have seen anything like this. And here's the frightening thing, Mike. What are we afraid of? We're afraid of the unknown. The uncertainty, yes. We don't know if we're going to get it. We don't know if I get it. Is it going to be mild? Am I going to have a bad flu? Or am I going to end up on a ventilator and die? So we don't know what extent that we have when we get it. We also don't know when this is going to end. If I said to you, Mike, you know what, June 1st, this is going to go away and life will go back to normal. We all could deal with it very easy. It's the unknown. The unknown is frightening to all of us. And never in America, in any of our generations, have we had that unknown. You know, it's, you know, maybe World War II, possibly people had that unknown, but nothing like this. Nothing in healthcare for sure. Doc, let me ask you this, and this is speculative, and you might not be able to ask this. This might be unfair. We're talking with Dr. Rich Slofnitz, the head of cardiology at St. Francis Hospital. Um, Doc, if. The president or the economist, and I know that talking to people on Wall Street, they felt that April 6th was a date that once we went per, per asked, businesses were going to start to fail by the day. So April 6th was a very important day. That's tomorrow. Um, that being the case, there's a lot of pressure. Even the president yesterday talked about, I have to reconsider uh, the cure can't be worse than the, the than the disease. I have to start to seriously think about it. I gather he is seriously thinking about reopening the country at a certain date. I don't know what the date is yet. We don't know if it'll be the end of the month or before. If we threw the country back open, 
could the hospitals a handle things and b would the death toll be outrageous uh, is that a fair question to ask you it's a great question and just on that note i think all of us on you know americans and uh, people in the news we have to stop thinking about democrats and republicans we have to think about i Americans. agree with that i agree with I, that i can't watch the news because on both sides whether they're republicans or democrats they're still fighting with each other i agree they're, i agree they're missing the point it's one team you know it's not the same right now we have to be one office. team i agree totally it's not about november it's not about republicans and democrats we're all got to be on the same side here could we ha- could the hospitals handle no. it they couldn't and could the would the death tolls be outrageous yeah, so it, it, it's a philosophical, you know, when, when you hear these things, they say, what's acceptable for the death rate? And the answer is yeah. zero. Zero, right, right. Zero, right? right. But reality is, you know, at what point, and, and, and what you're saying, the message is very, very clear and, and frightening, because if we let this go too long and you can't recover the economy, then you run the risk of a major depression. Even Civil unrest, absolutely, right, yes. Right. So, I mean, at some point you have to say, we need to get things going. And again, just not to repeat myself, but the only way to get this going is to get people back into the economy. Look, if 96% of people who get this get better, those are people that can restart our economy, Mike. We need to identify people who've had it, recovered, and get them back to work. Look, if, if And the only way to do that is through testing, right? That's my point. Put all your money into testing and test all of us. Get us tested, and the ones that had it and are better, get them back to work. But you're right. At some point before, because that's not going to happen right away. It takes time to get this thing distributed. So at some point, the government is going to have to say, we're going to either have a a martial law where nobody goes to a supermarket. We're going to have the um, National Guard bring you a box of food. You have a choice of vegetarian, regular. Not good. Not good. And we're going to bring you food and you can't go out for two weeks. And we're going to isolate the country for two weeks and then restart it. Or you're going to say, we're going to recognize that people are going to die. But the country is going to die if we don't get people back to work. When is that? That's such a difficult decision for any politician to make that decision um, because you're going to get criticism no matter what. If you let that happen and people die, you're going to be terrible. If you let the country die economically, you're terrible. It's a no-win situation, and that's why we have to take politics out of this. And I think the people who are running our economy have to say at some point we need to get things started, even if it's on a short level. We've got to get it started at a small level. But it has to happen, because if you just let this go too far, you're not going to recover. Well, as a world-class doctor, I'm sure you guys have had this conversation. And again, this is not a fair question, but what does the world, what does your world look like if the hospitals are overrun? I mean, what does that look like? So, you know, we're hoping, you know, we, we call it the surge. We're hoping to get ready for the surge. You know, uh, Governor Cuomo um, has been doing a great job of uh, leading, I believe, Um and, you know, he's, he's someone who uh, I, I really um, think is doing a great job. He, I agree. Credit for it. I agree. And he mandated that we have to, you know, he, you know, we all had to report to the state and say we will be reassigned to other areas. As an interventional cardiologist, I'll work on the floor. So we're building beds. So we're increasing our capacity. We're thinking about building beds in our garage. Every one of our spaces that we use for other things, we're building beds, and so is every hospital. And but you're a specialist done, hospital, so it's harder for you to do that stuff. I mean, you're a yeah, hospital that's known for one protocol, world-renowned for one protocol. But everybody's doing it. And, you know, even doing that, we're going to out, – out, the, the number's going to be greater than what we have. And if I speak to my colleagues in Italy, it, it, you know, it sounds like a horror story, and it sounds heartless, but 
they stopped putting people on uh, ventilators when they were greater than 80, then greater than 70, and then greater than 60. Jeez, Mike, I'm 65. Yeah, so am I. Yeah. You you think about that. But at some point, when it becomes a disaster situation, you have to make decisions. And if realistically someone's on a ventilator for two weeks and they don't get off, um, they're not politically correct decisions. Uh, They're not desirable decisions. But your question is, if we hit a surge that's worse than the curve show, decisions like that, which are very hard, will have to be made. And those are decisions, as a physician, I make with families every day. As I said before, I'm talking to family members every day. And they're very difficult decisions. I try to talk to them practically and say, look, you know, your mom is 87. She's on this ventilator. Her kidneys are shutting down. She would need to be on dialysis. The chances of getting off this, is this what you want to do? And we have family discussions, and sometimes people say, okay, stop everything, and they voluntarily do it. Other people say, I want you to do everything. My mom's a fighter. At this point in time, we're still able to respect everybody's wishes, whether they had a health care proxy or the family knows what the family wanted. At this point, we're able to respect that. At some point, if it becomes a disaster, that might not be the case. Unbelievable. Well, listen, I appreciate your time. I know how busy you are right now. Uh, first, you stay safe. I mean, how worried are you about getting sick? I mean, you're, you're dealing with people every day. How, how do you make sure that you stay healthy? So, you know, you know, a lot of our staff members have gotten sick. My partners, um, fortunately, they're not severely ill. Um, you know, it's, I'm, I'm a lucky one, Mike. I'm, when I'm working, you know, I, I can't imagine if I was home and watching the news, how I'd go on. We, as healthcare workers, as serious as it is, we're working and we're doing something positive as best we can. So that distracts me. When I get home, that's the time I worry. You know, and I gotta be honest with you, in the middle of the night, sometimes I wake up and I go, do I have a fever? So it's only normal to be afraid because it's the unknown and we're all, you know, humans and it's normal to be afraid of the unknown. Well, listen, continue the work you do. It's amazing work you've done. I mean, listen, you've always done amazing work, but this is uh, just unbelievable. Th- thanks for a couple of minutes. I appreciate it. Be well. Stay, stay safe. Thank you. Take care, Mike. Thank you. Dr. Rich Softlitz, as you can see, the situation that's on the ground as we speak, just a few, I'm telling you, a stone's throw from my house. That's where St. Francis Heart Hospital is. It is a wonderful Small hospital that is renowned, heart hospital, the number two ranked heart hospital in the United States behind Cleveland Clinic, one of the most renowned. That man right there is one of the foremost uh, in his specialty, one of the foremost doctors in the United States. And right now, as he said to me, I'm working like a social worker. And the surge on Long Island is unbelievable. So there's a lot going on in these days as we lead up to what everyone says is going to be the apex sometime this week as it could come on Good Friday, as crazy as that, as we hit Passover and Easter Sunday this week. We're coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loan Studios, a remote version of it. These are challenging times, and Rocket Mortgage is prepared to help. If you need mortgage assistance, contact their team 24-7 at rocketmortgage.com. From their home to yours, the team at Rocket Mortgage is with you. We'll be right back. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? 
Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.